really funny. I was trying to do the 20th Century Fox jingle, and instead I did Indiana Jones, so. Yeah, it was a little Temple of Doom. It's okay. What is the... Now I'm afraid to do it because I did it too wrong. I don't know. I was doing the... Yeah, I was doing the drums in the beginning. That was my... And then... I don't know, you guys. I, we have no idea. Welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast for another edition. Uh, my name is Abby Welty. I'm the <laughs> host of this podcast with my friend Rebecca Mancia. Don't that was the weirdest us. way. It's like you didn't know your own name. You were like making it up on I, the spot. That's actually why I'm changing my name when I get married, because I hate my last name. And I like, I prefer Abby to Abigail. Um... And, but Abigail Welty is one thing, but Abby Welty. Abby Welty. <laughs> so we've <laughs> so, had this conversation so before. <laughs> I feel like I have mar- marbells in my mouth. Uh, so this is an anti-racist, anti-capitalist, intersectional feminist podcast about horror movies. Uh, so I hadn't seen this one with my spooky suck goggles on and oh boy. Eater, I saw this movie a lot when I was like, child it came out when i was weirdly i've seen it at least twice um this is like probably the third time i've watched it yeah there's like because i watched like i i don't know we were a vhs family right and we watched a lot of movies and we watched a lot of movies as a family that there are some movies that are only in my subconscious and not and so like when you were telling me so like weird and dreamy anyway yeah it feels like a fever dream it's we're talking about stir of echoes this is a stir of echoes capital a stir no the novel is a stir of echoes it's also listed on stir of echoes the oh maybe i was on the wrong wikipedia page well maybe you were miss lady uh, which either one, it's a terrible title for this movie, but, uh, no, I was, I texted you like, I don't even think it's like the least descriptive title. Like what is it even? It means nothing. I was it should also have been called a murder in Chicago, a murder in a murder in the wall. Oops. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> a murder in the wall. So catchy. Um, but yeah, you were saying it lives in your subconscious. Yeah, so when you were texting me before I had watched it again for the for this recording, I was like, "What? What do you mean it's gross?" And then I'm watching him pull a tooth out of his mouth. And I was like, "That's exactly this is what disgusting. I texted." I, like, <laughs> I forgot he did this. This is so nasty. It's like the longest scene. It's just so like visceral. But then other I know parts, how to pronounce visceral. I was trying to be funny. Don't come. It's hilarious. Me. I like how we say don't come at me, but like no, no one one's coming. Is, like no one cares. <laughs> who would who would care? Yeah, so we're like, should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. I was gonna say we're like an indie band from like the nineties where we're like rejecting like Reaganism and like the greed era and we're like not really trying for anything. We're just like having a good time. That's where we're at. Apple Podcasts is Reaganism. I will not be expanding further. (laughs) Okay, so uh, at the top, there's a trigger warning for sexual assault Mm. and self-harm in this movie. So if you want to not hear about it, I mean, I guess get to the analysis. I don't know. Um, Okay, burp. So we open on a turn-of-the-century house in Chicago. 
I'm sorry. Great. I'll be doing that every time. Uh, And a child humming. The child, Jake, is in a bath being watched over by his sexy daddy, Kevin Bacon. No. Who is so unhinged in this movie that I was like, he's kind of not sexy, but he's still sexy. I think, even though I don't find him not even, like, a little bit attractive, like, every, I was, no. Like, the way that they frame him, like, all sweaty with, like, his shirt off, I understand where they were going with it, but I don't see it. But he's the... Machi! I love it. He's more attractive in this movie than I think in any other movie I've ever seen him in. No, but Tremors. I still don't get He's it. so cute in Tremors. We have to do Tremors. <laughs> so it's really, like, it's uh, you really won't one of my favorite it. movies. Well, you might not have can, a choice. I won't have a choice. I'll be more attracted to the worm. Just kidding. Consent is important. Um, so Jake, the child, who's very cute. He's a, such a cutie face. I just want to pinch his cheeks. Why were there uh, so many hears... children in horror movies in the like late nineties, early two thousands? There has to be some know. cultural I mean, reason. Creepy children are always in in vogue, you know. Um, so Jake hears whispers and asks an unseen presence if it hurts to be dead. Downstairs, Tom's wife Maggie shares that she's pregnant with her sister Lisa, which never comes up again. Uh, Tom gets annoyed sort with his sister in law. When she starts chatting about zodiac signs, so Lisa's kind of like a witchy, twitchy, like crunchy girl, um, with like cute barrettes, and so she's she, played by Elenia, a lady, a lady, Elenia, <laughs> a lady Elenia, Elenia Douglas. Where do I know her from? I didn't explore it. Um, uh, she's like been in a little bit of everything, but I call her, she's the smoking room version of Alice and Janie. Like, that's it. She's like... Oh, shit. That's kind of mean, but kind of true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. That's like, she's great. She's, but yeah, she's like the, the smoker's like cough things voice. Things went wrong for Alice and Janie. Yeah. Yeah. She like followed a guy in a band somewhere and then like... True. Damn, mm-hmm. she has a robust filmography, though. Yeah, she's a character actor. But this is where I know her from. I guess this is where I know her from, too, as I scroll. Uh, oh, she's in Ghost World. Oh, yeah. She is in Ghost World. Oh, I probably know her from Law & Order SVU. The thing about Law & Order SVU is I know every actor from Law & Order SVU, but I don't know why I know them until I go to their IMDb and I'm like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. We have another Law & Order alum, spinoff alum, in I Catherine Irby. Herb. Herb. <laughs> also, Criminal Intent and SVU. So, uh, Lisa's crazy sister-in-law goes to help Jake get into his pajamas, uh, and Tom is, like, not taking the news of the pregnancy that well, and he's struggling emotionally with his status in life as a lineman, which is a great job, and unionized, so chill the fuck out. So, Maggie is cooking a human person, and Tom is just, like, centering himself and his obvious need for therapy by being like, my life amounted to nothing, so whatever. I think it's fair um, to not, like, immediately be on board with an unplanned pregnancy, but it's also not fair to tell your wife that your your life that you've built together, like, sucks. Is meaningless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom puts Jake to bed, uh, and Jake continues to hear whispering. Meanwhile, Tom, Lisa, and Maggie go to a party. This, like, really cracked me up, carrying the baby monitor to a party across the street. <laughs> would not work. A 1999 baby no, monitor? No, I couldn't go that far. Would cut out in the living room. You cat to be kidding me. 
So at the party, Tom, who's like a skeptic, challenges Lisa, who is a witchy twitchy lady. Uh, I'm just saying that because that's someone's handle on TikTok that got involved in like the Lance Chelsea drama. I need to get my I need to get my life back together. You might. You need to step away. (laughs) Step away from the internet. Become a new person. So Tom challenges Lisa to hypnotize him. Oh, and also there's lots of like neighborhood yokels, local yokels there. You know, you got Frank, you got a uh, Lenny who's racist. You got well, probably all of them are racist. Yeah. But there, it's, there's a cast of characters. So uh, she tells, she does hypnotize him. She tells him to imagine he's in a movie theater, and there are words on the screen, and it spells sleep. He sees a vision of someone in his house with their face covered in plastic, and then comes to. And when he wakes up, he finds out that Lisa stuck a safety pin in his hand, and he talked about being bullied as a child by Joey Luca, who he hasn't thought of in years. He's part of the 8% of the most susceptible to fake made-up To hypnotiz- <laughs> hypnotizings. Hypnotizosis. Uh, that night, he dreams again of being hypnotized. He wakes up, and he and Maggie have sex, but he has more disturbing flashbacks while they... Bone. Uh, I looked away because I knew about the fingernail, so I don't know what happened here. When I was little, my mom made me cover my eyes on the scene. I remember that more than I think the I bone because of the boning or the fingernail. I think? think both. She was like, "Cover your eyes," so I didn't know what happened in the scene. I'm. I wish I had for hadn't like seen years. It. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I like there is an image of like a hand, and then one of the fingernails like snaps back on off, and I don't. I didn't watch it. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. Tooth, teeth flying out, yeah. Afterwards, in the bathroom, he hallucinates that one of his teeth is loose and he pulls it out, but then he's fine. Uh, so he heads to the couch, leans forward to turn on the TV, and then when he leans back, he sees the ghost of a teenage girl who says, you can hear me, can't you? Jake appears at the top of the stairs and says, you're awake now, daddy, and tells him not to be afraid of it. He, sorry. <clears throat> Uh, I think this, okay, this movie and The Sixth Sense, you remember that movie? Yes, the most unpronounceable movie on the world. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Uh, Came out a month apart. So this movie did not have a chance at the box office. Oh, sorry. I actually, I like this movie. I think that's embarrassing to say. But I like like what a time capsule it is. I like the outside of the, like, clear racial divides, which do exist in Chicago, but, like, we didn't have to lean in quite so hard on it. Stir of echoes. I like the kind of, like, time capsule of how, like, people in a neighborhood live. I wish. Uh, And I liked the outfits. I, yeah, I mean, I love, like, yeah, like, in 1999's, like, those little, like, shruggy cardigans that, like, fell right at your They only waist. look good at really, on really thin women, though. Right. Uh, but I wish there were more community events that I would want to go to. I don't know. Are there? Would I There's go? There's a block Probably party not. outside right now, but I just go outside when the dogs are there so they can play. Yeah. You may be able to hear it on the mic. They're listening to uh, Saweetie. And I was, like, bouncing along while I was typing my emails. Nice. Uh, okay. He calls Lisa to find out if she gave him a post-hypnotic suggestion, which basically means, like, you whisper something into the hypnotized person's brain, and they wake up, like, and follow that. 
So she reveals that she instructed him to be more open-minded when he wakes up, uh, and she opened a door that so that he would be more available to receive things around them. Now, as a witch, Lisa should know you don't fucking open doors you don't know how to close, okay? Like, why would she do this? It's very irresponsible hypnosis. She cl- She's an unlicensed therapist, is still in school. She shouldn't be. Yeah, he, like, says, he tells her, like, what did you do to me while you were you were like clumsily kicking around in my brain which is true it's like get your fingers out of there like you don't know what you're doing yeah totally so uh at home maggie is looking for a babysitter jack tells her to call vanessa and ask about debbie jake and says some what did i say i jack. wrote jack I'm an idiot. <laughs> jake tells her to call vanessa and ask about debbie she says he says Samantha told him about Debbie. Excuse me. So on Friday night, Debbie, the babysitter, a.k.a. Paris from Gilmore Girls, arrives. Uh, Tom seems to recognize her and his vision flashes like blood red, uh, but they leave anyway. Uh, while entering the high school football game, which is like apparently the social event of the season. Um, There's like 300 Tom, people in the street. like a million people, Yeah. It's, I wouldn't, like, do that for a professional sports game. I mean, yeah, I've been in a crowd like that, I guess, for, like, yeah, shows or sports games, but for high school football, gross. High school musical. Not that either, no. No, me neither. (laughs) That wasn't funny, I'm sorry. (laughs) I never saw it, I was too old. I think at the no, time. No, I didn't see it either. But I did recently watch an episode of Say Yes to the Dress, which I've taken to watching while I work, that had Corbin Bleu of High School Musical on it. And I was like, who are you? And then I heard about Corbin Bleu, uh, like something about him on TikTok, and I was like, synchronicity, man. Ooh. Ooh. So Tom's not doing well. He's like sweating and his vision is like, really freaking like fritzy and every flash of red taillight is freaking him out at home debbie notices she can't hear jake's breathing over the monitor anymore and then he speaks saying you scared me and that debbie is downstairs debbie checks on jake who says samantha says it's always dark where she is debbie accuses him of lying and tells him it's cruel to tell lies and takes him out of the house At the game, Tom realizes something is wrong at home, so he runs back and finds Jake gone. So he knows instinctively to run to the train station, uh, where he finds Jake and Debbie. Well, he follows the red to the train station. Okay, well, I didn't catch that, ma'am. That's how he knows, because he's, like, redding out about it. Okay, he's redding out. All right, got it. Just kidding. (laughs) Where were we? Train station. Yeah, he followed the lights. I get it. He's at the train station, and it says now boarding something. Now boarding! Uh, So Debbie cries and demands that Jake tell her where Samantha is. Debbie's mother works at the station, and she brought Jake there to talk to her. Samantha is Debbie's sister and uh, went missing six months ago. Debbie shows them a picture of Samantha, but Tom lies and says he doesn't recognize her and says he doesn't want to press charges when the cop asks. Tom then, uh, I wrote the names wrong again. I wrote Tom tells Lisa. Tom tells Maggie it was the same girl he saw on the couch, and she realizes that um, it was 
Jake told, you guys, okay, so Maggie realizes Jake told her that Samantha said to hire Debbie, and she was like, how did you know that? So they question Jake, and he does a weird, eerie voice. (laughs) Which never comes back. Is like Never comes back, Was she possessing him? Tom flies off the handle and is, like, obsessively pressing on Jake to tell him details, while Maggie's like, please stop doing this. And then Jake says he doesn't want to talk about it because it scares Mommy, which is so cute. Hmm. So the next day they're at a block party where Lisa is like, y- yikes, Tom is looking really fucked up. Maggie starts crying and saying Tom is acting like a psycho and he like won't leave the couch or the house and like he's used all his sick days so he's fucked if he doesn't go back tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, Tom is asking their landlord Harry what he knows about a girl named Samantha Kozak. Harry calls over his son, Kurt, and asks him about Samantha, but they're interrupted by neighborhood asshole Lenny calling Samantha the R-word and saying she ran away with a black person. I called him the local dipshit. He was like, just, yeah, like... Damn, Lenny! Like, go away, bro. At least they... Okay, this is 1999, and Frank, who is a bad guy, who's like also like a shitty person... Is like, don't use that fucking word. And why now, in 2022, am I still encountering people using the R word? That slur, yeah. Why? So Tom asks Harry if Samantha ever lived there, but he said no. They're the first tenants since he bought the house. Scum sucking. <sighs> Leech, Harry the landlord. Lisa suggests finding a hot priest to guide Maggie through her troubles. Agree. Um, Frank then arrives and he, again, to his credit, yells at Lenny for using the R word. And then there's a man fight. Um, at home, Tom wakes up from a nap on the couch and sees Frank in his living room. He says they're going to kill you and Maggie and walks out the door where he sits on the porch and says that it's a decent neighborhood. Tom is like, excuse me. So he goes to find Frank's wife, Sheila. God bless Sheila. She really gets a We'll bad talk about edit. poor Sheila, yeah. <laughs> when he gets there, Frank's wife... The, what, what am I talking about? Son. Frank's wife is standing in the living room. Frank's son, Adam, is standing in the living room holding a handgun and shoots himself. Tom wakes up. Again, it was all a dream, but his boots are in the same position. There's a note from Maggie in the bathroom like there was in the last iteration. So he's like... Oh, no. So Tom walks to Frank's house. Here's the gun go off and breaks in where he finds Adam bleeding from the gunshot wound and screams for help. An ambulance arrives and Maggie and Jake go for a walk to escape the commotion. They end up at a funeral for a police officer. A cop waves to Jack. Jack. Jake, you guys. Jake. Jake. <laughs> Before Maggie pulls him away. After the funeral, the cop follows them around the cemetery. Uh, Maggie is antagonistic to the cop, which normally I endorse, but he is a black man, so I'm kind of like Maggie. Um, Either way, be mean to a cop. The never cop be nice says, to a cop. Never be nice to a cop. You heard it here first. <clears throat> so sorry. Uh... The cop says the boy's got the eyes on him, and he can tell Maggie doesn't, but Jake's father must. She says, yeah. And he gives Maggie his card and tells her to tell Tom to come by later. Uh, Jake and the cop, Neil, know each other's names instinctively because they both have the eyes. At home, Jake helps Tom play the guitar, and it's a song Tom Tom recognizes. Never amounts to anything, as far as I can tell. I think it's the song that's on the radio when he turns it up. 
Isn't it uh, the Rolling Stones? Oh, you're so smart. I'm Sometimes. so dumb. No. I mean, yeah, though. No. Okay. Uh, so Maggie heads to see Neil. She takes a knife from Tom's tool belt because it's a bad neighborhood. Bad, a.k.a. there's black people in it. I would also oh, just hope that she took it because she's going to some unknown location. Where I would also True. bring a knife. I would. I would also bring a knife. But then Maggie, another strike against her is she asks an Asian woman for directions. Obviously, it's like an older Asian woman is perceived as safe and more approachable for white people than a black person. But eventually she finds Neil. He's angry because he's like, I did not invite you here. Um, But she insists that he help her. So he steps out and says that uh, Tom is a receiver now. Everything is coming in and he can't stop it or slow it down. It's like he's in a tunnel with a flashlight, but the light only works part of the time. Neil asks if he knows what the ghost wants yet. She asks for something and now she's waiting. And if he doesn't do it, she'll never go away. Uh, some stuff at the house happens. Maggie's having a bath, but Samantha made the water cold, so she goes down to put the pilot light back on on the water heater, and she hits her head. Uh, Tom is still trying to figure out the song. Jake is watching TV, and Samantha appears on the screen and keeps, like, switching the channel. It's, like, it's really goofy. funny. She's a fierce. <laughs> she comes on the screen like... <laughs> uh, downstairs... Tom, I think, finally finds the right song, as you aforementioned, and sees a vision of the house before Harry bought it when it was under construction. Samantha appears in the doorway, and he reaches out to touch her and stops breathing in real life. Maggie finds him and snaps him out of it, and he says, She's here. Meanwhile, apropos of nothing, Debbie is putting up missing persons flyers for Samantha. It's a... Slightly related non sequitur, but it didn't help the movie in any way. It's like, yeah, we know Um, she's looking for her. We're aware. We're done with that now. Tom asks Lisa to hypnotize him again and shut the door that she opened. She puts him back in the theater, but someone is in the theater with him. It's Samantha, and he sees a vision of her murder. The screen then says, dig. When he comes out of it, he tells Lisa he has to dig. Oh, he's got to dig? Yeah. Mm. Uh, Maggie arrives home with groceries and finds a fax coming through and muddy footprints all over the place. Like, God the damn, facts. Maggie. The fax really cracked me up. You kids don't even know what a fax was. God, it Have like... you ever used a fax machine in your career? No. I used to work at a law office and they still were really into faxing. What? Who, how would you even... I like... How would you go about it? I don't know. You... Dial the fax number. Now, though. Like, right now. Oh. <laughs> no, you can't send know. a fax. No one can, right? I have faxed one or two things in the past couple of years. Whoa. It's, I'm embarrassed to say it, but... Some businesses are still into faxing. I guess so, yeah. You could scan things from your phone, guys. Everybody knows that, yeah. right? Fax forever. It's why we have to be in the office, so we can fax things. Capitalism. Um, the fridge is filled with orange juice. I don't know why. I guess it just like keeps his quenches his going, thirst. so he he doesn't have to eat. Um, and Jake and Tom are digging in the backyard. Maggie's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and Tom is antagonistic and kind of psychotic and starts yelling at Maggie. 
And it says this is the most important thing he's ever done in his life, and he refuses to stop. She's like, okay, thank you for saying our life is stupid and ordinary. I'd like it. And don't fucking talk to me like that again. Inside, Tom pours her some orange juice as an apology. It's a bad apology. Uh, Maggie reads the facts from her brother, Steve, which says that her grandmother is going back into the hospital. Tom starts to say something, but stops himself. Then the phone rings, and it's Steve telling Maggie that her grandmother died. Maggie comes out, and she could tell Tom knew, but Tom decides to stay behind while Jake and Maggie head to the funeral. Uh, Tom is coming totally unglued, and he can't get the spigot to work, so he psychotically heads to the basement. Uh, while down there, he decides he's going to start digging through the concrete floor. This whole thing is so funny, because at the end of the day, all he needed to do was, like, lightly touch a brick. <laughs> I was going to say, like, he didn't have to, like, lean on a wall or anything. Like, he's got yeah. a full jackhammer, full generator. Yep, he gets a jackhammer... People are starting to notice that he's losing his shit. Uh, Maggie eventually calls home from the funeral and they sort of reconcile when Tom says he's no longer digging. And Maggie's like, okay, I'm going to come get you. Like, I need you to be here. They hang up and then we pan to the dining room floor, which has been completely pulled up. And Tom has, like, jackhammered through it. Um, At the grandmother's house, Jake says he's scared to go home because of the feathers. And Maggie's like, I don't even know. Like, fine. (laughs) And she leaves him with Lisa. Meanwhile, in the basement, Tom lightly touches a brick wall and it starts falling apart. And then that's where Samantha's remains are. <laughs> like, he's just like, ooh, I'll just move this one and this one. It's like so delicate. With his bare hands. Yeah, like he's got I a know. jackhammer and he's using his bare hands. Put some gloves on. So he touches her hand when he finds her remains. Also, don't touch a corpse. Ma- don't touch a corpse. Uh... And he has a vision of Kurt calling her from the porch of um, Tom's house. Adam and Kurt are drunk. They're drinking, like, Midori or something. Like, what the fuck is that? I don't that? know what any alcohol anyone is drinking in this movie. They're <laughs> in just, like, in movie. unmarked bottles. And, like, this is it <laughs> like, shops? Oh, there's is no it? label on any bottle yet. Uh, they take off her coat, and she gives consent for Kurt to kiss her. But he immediately oversteps Samantha's boundaries, and she says she wants to leave. Kurt then violently assaults her, and they put a bag over her face to stop her screaming and accidentally suffocate and murder her. Tom wakes up in the basement, and he's like, oh, oh, oh. Kurt is spying from outside and sees that Tom has discovered the remains. Tom, oh, Adam and Kurt are like neighborhood youths. I don't know if I made that clear. They're the teenage sons of Harry and Frank. And, and they're Frank, Biffs. And Frank. They're yeah, BFFs. they're total Biffs. Oh, I thought you meant like Biff from. And they're Biffs. Uh, they're BFFs Back to the and future. they're Biffs. <laughs> <laughs> Neighborhood bullies and best friends. So then Tom goes to Frank's house and says he thinks he knows why Adam shot himself and he has to call the police, but he wanted to do Frank the courtesy of telling him first. Tom then brings Frank to the basement and discloses what happened. He says she pulled out hair from her assailant and they're going to know who it belonged to. Then Frank reveals that he helped Kurt and Adam cover up the murder and pulls a gun. Frank tells Tom to go upstairs. He's been living for it, with it for six months and wants to unalive himself. Meanwhile, Harry and Kurt arrive and barge in under the guise of checking what Tom was doing. They pull a gun on him, and he's about to smother Tom with a pillow. Like, a little couch pillow. So cute. No, he was getting, that was to silence the... Why am I so stupid? I was like, was like is, they have a gun. Yeah, like Why don't they just put 
Okay, well, I get it now. <laughs> We're all on the uh, same page. It's okay. Uh, so, uh, hmm. so he's about to silencer shoot Tom when Maggie pulls up and honks. She hears a scuffle inside and grabs the knife she swiped from Tom and heads in. Harry attacks her and she, something happens. Like, she goes down She stabs and Tom him. is there and then she stabs his little toesies. And then Frank arrives and just opens fire on Harry and Kurt. An errant shot goes through to the second floor and directly through Jake's pillows, making feathers fly everywhere, hence why he was afraid of the feathers. Frank says what he said earlier in Tom's vision. They were going to kill you, Tommy, you and Maggie both. And then Samantha's spirit is released. Samantha's funeral is held and Tom and Maggie decide, decide to move. As they drive through their new neighborhood, Jake hears whispers from each house as they pass. Ooh. <gasps> the end! The end. Ooh, I need a... I always get so tired break. from reading the plot. Does that happen to you? Yeah. Um, but you didn't sound convincing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Every maybe. time I, like, sometimes I think it's easier to read the plot. And sometimes I think it's nice not to read the plot. So it's nice not to, because there's a lot going on, especially at the end. Yeah, you I did a like great I just, job. just, like, typing and typing. Thank you so much. Um, Frankie's sitting in the closet just staring at me it's kind of scary frank frank are you okay stir of echoes hi frankie come here uh she can hear the ghost don't even say that because probably um what so this movie is also a lot like the shining but uh this movie is based on a book by richard matheson richard burton matheson Fun uh, fact, the babysitter was reading a Richard Matheson book on the couch. And that book came out in 1958. Uh, so really, my parents were born. Wow. Wow. Um, so Stephen King, again, is not the author you think he is and probably stole a lot for The Shining from that book. So the end. What a dick. What a dick. Because they're very similar. The eyes are basically The Shining. We have a magical black man who also has the sight. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. We have a dad who also has the sight and is seeing Oh, my God. Richard Matheson also wrote I Am Legend. I didn't even know that. Right. And uh, The Shrinking Man and a bunch of other stuff. I think it's pronounced Shrinking. The Shrinking Man. (laughs) <laughs> uh, something like Fear at 20,000 Feet Which was also a Twilight Zone episode Okay, so For those of you listening at home um, I recommend Going to the A Stir of Echoes Wikipedia page that The book And then if you just click From there on Supernatural Novel Just to see the photo They have on Supernatural Novel What is um, it? <laughs> don't know <laughs> Like, are they specific <gasps> characters? Oh, my God. What is that? It's, they look like... so weird. It looks like an art student just made an edit to the Wikipedia it's page like and put their own art. work. Yeah, like their own work on it. It's so funny. So, yeah, again, that's supernatural fiction. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, it's gorgeous. Uh, so, yeah, do you want to talk about Chicago? 
I don't know a lot about Chicago. I know nothing what about I, Chicago. So I read um, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson recently, which I may have talked about on this podcast before. But it's all about the Great Migration during the Jim Crow era and how, um, like, the, like, paths people took from the South to Northern cities. And Chicago is one of, like, the biggest hubs where, um, like, black people from the South came. But uh, through redlining and other, like, state-sanctioned discrimination, they managed to basically isolate black neighborhoods, like, black people in specific neighborhoods that were really inaccessible from the rest of the city and, like, a really long way away. And I can't remember the neighborhood names now, but you still see, like, a lot of the ramifications of that, like, Jim Crow era segregation in Chicago. And I guess that's, like, kind of what we're getting at in, like, this movie where Frank's constantly, like, this is a decent neighborhood and all that Mm -hmm. shit. Like, it's super racist. But, yeah, you'd never see, like, BIPOC do not live in the neighborhood. You see them only in tokenizing roles, like the mail carrier and the cop, of course, Neil the cop. Um, and, again, Frank is always talking about, like, what a decent and good neighborhood it is. Uh, we talked about this when we did Candyman way long, long, long. Oh, my God. Do you remember Candyman? Wow. I do. Uh, I love that movie. Let's watch it again. I haven't seen it since okay. then. I haven't seen the new one yet, either. Me neither. Um, but, yeah, and I think it's a something that happens in all cities across America. It happens in Phoenix, too. It's like brown people live in a neighborhood. White people live in a different neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yesterday when we were in Chandler, we saw Abby's fiancé. My husband and I saw Abby's fiancé, Adam. And there were so many white people in Chandler. And I was like, oh, this is where they all are. And we were, like, surrounded by golf resorts. And there was uh, We Protect Cops in Chandler sign. Oh and um, it was astonishing. And I was like, I miss downtown Phoenix. But um, yeah, Phoenix definitely has that. Like, you see it happen in the span of a block, too. Like, you're in a neighborhood where brown and black people live. And then suddenly there's just like million dollar mansions everywhere and like water features that can't be a good use of energy. We were, yeah, they're not, especially because we're in a desert. Um, But we were, Caesar and I were taking the dog for a hike, and for whatever reason, my Google Maps took us, like, this weird back way to the mountain, and we were, like, going through a gated community. And then we came to a gate where they, like, and we were in his, like, old 20-year-old forerunner, so, like, they were, like, we, like, er, turned the car around, but the security guard came out of the booth to, like, was gonna stop us like i was like okay everybody chill out yeah i'm just trying to hike up a mountain get away from me so it's like just like trying to take my dog for a walk thanks for nothing google maps yeah Google maps putting the lives of brown and black people in danger with their bullshit (laughs) i can't go through here yeah like what but uh and it's like actually that's like probably a real thing like when you're routing something and you're like part of a historically marginalized group like there are places that the internet isn't gonna like necessarily tell you aren't safe for you when you're like like sundown towns yeah totally yeah Yeah. wow every system is made for white people fucking a it's almost like our whole country was built on the basis of the basis of one Whoa, whoa, Am I saying that right? I've never said that before. Take your critical race theory out of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
but this like my my children, aka Frankie, staring at me from the closet, are too young to hear about this. Frankie's brown. She's reddish brown. Um, And my cats are black. Little tuxedo cat. I can't be racist because I have black cats. Um, Okay, sorry, that wasn't a funny joke. That was a little too white woman bullshitty. Uh, I was just going to say, I was going to say maybe that wasn't my favorite (laughs) joke you've ever made, but I was going to say that, like, I apologize. Black animals get adopted at lower rates than other colored animals, so. Yeah, it's true. It's a weird, why does that happen? I mean, black cats are unlucky, allegedly, but. I don't know. I mean, one of them did die, so that was unlucky. All cats are, all cats, (laughs) all humans are eventually going to (laughs) die. But um, I really do apologize for that insensitive joke. Please forgive me, listeners. Let's move on from. Oh my God, Rebecca's <laughs> gonna podcast break up with me. Okay, no, gonna... I won't. I see the floor. Um, I was just gonna say the like when she we don't see not yeah we see like the mail carrier that's the only like black person in this like neighborhood. All the people going to the football game, all the people at the block party, all the people at the house party are all white. And then she goes to meet Neil in this, like, back alley, and none of those people are white. And it's dark, and it's raining, and, like, loud, and people are sitting on the ground, and it's dirty, and we don't, we don't know what neighborhood she's in. We don't know if she's in downtown Chicago, but it's, like, very stark. I don't know. And, yeah, she's carrying Probably a knife. south side? Because there's, I, like, the south side. I didn't like it. Heat. Either way, I wasn't a fan of the way that they, like... Made it like, oh, she's in an. No, unsafe. the characterization is really, really like nasty. But I Although will. Maybe they, maybe they live on the south side. Because there's like some landmarks that you see, like the when you he's see on a the ton pole. of the like bungalows. You see the beer sign. Yeah, I don't know sh- Chicago geography. I apologize. And I guess it depends because they definitely go to Logan Square. Right. Which is somewhere. Which well, is if a you're place. from Chicago, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna say something else, and I totally forgot yeah. And I feel like yeah, Neil the uh, Neil the cop and his like kente cloth, like telling moving the like white families narrative along, like fulfills the sort of magical spiritual guide trope that we see a lot of like BIPOC people tokenize to especially in the 90s and early 2000s and now and all time um and it's like very offensive like neil has zero character development and he's like ma'am you're not welcome in this space this isn't a space for you i didn't invite you here and she's like i'm not leaving like she's like a little mini karen but i forgive her because she's pregnant and like her husband is going insane um but it's like just completely thoughtless about the spaces you should be occupying and shouldn't be occupying and how you should speak to people like in their own space, you know? I and it's upsetting the way Neil is characterized because because he's one, like a magical spiritual sightseer who has to guide mm-hmm. along this white family and he's a cop. So we have like both of those tokens in one. Yeah, like, totally. Gross. And, yeah, the this movie doesn't feel... It feels pro-cop. Like, they come into, like, this sad cop funeral with sad bagpipe music. Yeah. The cop at like, the subway saves the day at the confrontation between Debbie and her mom and... Oh, I feel like, yeah, he doesn't do a lot, but I guess, like, he's not categorized badly. And then, yeah, you see... 
Well, you see, like, Tom being this sort of, like, vigilante justice, force for vigilante justice, but it's not anti-cop, and anything that's not anti-cop is too pro-cop for me. It's true. Uh, And the, yeah, the Asian woman that Maggie stops to talk to is also, like, she's, like, immediately yelling, and she's, like, doesn't speak English, Mm -hmm. and Maggie's, like, oh, if I just keep Uh, talking, she'll understand me. She's, like, eating something. Yeah. She's probably, like, get the fuck away from me. I'm busy. Why are you talking to me? Um, And, yeah, the fact that a white woman can go into a space that, like, is unknown to her uh, and just, like, push people around and demand things of them. Uh, Unfair. Yeah, for sure. Um, This movie is also kind of classist, but, like, I don't know. The idea that, like, Tom believes he was, like, made for something bigger is such, like, American individualism where, like, this shouldn't have been my life because, like, I cannot be so ordinary. Like, I should have been a rock star. He was, like, at the beginning, Maggie's pregnancy interrupts him being able to go tour with a band or something. Yeah. And, like, again, alignment is a good job. Like, probably a lot of people were, like, excuse me, I'm alignment, like, for the phone company or whatever. And, like, I have benefits and I feed my family and, like, it's a good position. So I feel like that sort of demonization of it not being, like, romantic or good enough is pretty damaging and then you see maggie in scrubs but she doesn't even get the decency of like an actual definition of what her career is as a character maggie is like because i like her a lot and i think Catherine herb did such a good job like i don't know like it, her she it was so believable like this sort of put upon wife who has to deal with her husband being so insane but it's also unfair the way that she's being treated by her husband and, like, this relationship that he's forging against, away from her, like, in their little three-family dynamic. Like, him and Jake have their own little club that she's, like, Maggie's telling Lisa about. And so she's, like, has to save her family but is also being gatekeep like gate kept away from what's going on within it and she can't see it and no one will explain to her really what's going on and and yeah tom is unable to put into words what he's seeing and also doesn't really want to put in the effort to tell her what's going on or like give him give her the motivation he's just like my life is ordinary and now it has purpose and she's like well i still have to go to work and i'm pregnant and you're acting crazy and like now i have to go to the middle of like a neighborhood that i don't know anything about to like yeah, figure out like how to help you grandmother died and you won't come to the funeral and then yeah, her grandma point, dies at one point lisa says like this whole movie is like women are just doing a lot of emotional labor yes labor, like too much uh and lisa says like oh you're not the first woman that's had to hold an insane family together like Oh, man. Why does that have to come down to her? go to therapy. Just go to a therapist. You won't murder anyone, probably. Like, you won't have, like, these uncontrollable, like, feelings that result in weird fights because someone said a slur and you can't have, like, a normal conversation about it. Like, go to therapy, Frank. You need it. Uh, I mean, therapy doesn't fix everything. A lot of it is, like, our society is really fucked up. And maybe if it was better, we would all be better. But... I think in the case of white men, though... They've got it all anyway. (laughs) I don't think white men should be able to not go to therapy. Like, other marginalized groups that are, like, that don't have the luxury of, like, seeking out that, like, necessary medical care because of our, like, very skewed system 
Yes, but like Frank, Frank had the resources to get a therapist if he needed one. Okay, it's but then not he would have revealed that it's he helped his son cover up, <laughs> and then it would then we wouldn't have this big reveal. But like also Tom, like Tom, if you struggle emotionally with your feelings of being like ordinary or unremarkable as far as like your presence in the world, you need to confront like those feelings with yourself instead of projecting them onto your wife and child. Yeah. And projecting them onto your wife while she's pregnant and dealing with like a lot of emotional labor for your household already. Because obviously Maggie is way more observant than Tom, so she probably knew that Jake had this like gift way before mm-hmm. Tom clocked it. So she's like okay my kid's a little different I'm dealing with it you know I do appreciate that because we the trope is normally like crazy woman is psychic and has powers and or you know understands that something like supernatural is going on but her husband doesn't believe her and then continuously gaslights her Maggie is on board right away she's like you're seeing ghosts he's seeing ghosts I have to like I don't want to figure this out I still have to go to work but I don't I'm not telling you you're crazy I'm not like trying to put you in a mental hospital I'm not like denying your experiences and while yeah. I want you to stop digging holes in the yard um, and oh, maybe please. come inside I, I'm not <laughs> yeah. trying to like <laughs> tell you that you're insane and I want you to come to my grandmother's funeral with me but I'm not trying to say that what you're doing is less than. I just want you to go to work because we have a baby on the way. Um, and we Yeah, but then on the other hand, I feel like when the shoe is on the other foot and, like, the man is the one that's imbued with these, like, psychic capacities, his, like, violence and his, like, kind of, like, dangerous outbursts are sort of yeah. excused in the name of, like, well, he's solving a murder. And you're like, okay, but he's still being, like, quasi-verbally abusive to his wife. And he's being really scary and, like, kicking shit and doing, like, weird stuff in front of his kid. And his kid having, like, the eyes isn't the same thing as, like... Being Being up. okay with, like, being okay with witnessing things and being able to, like, conceptualize why grown-ups take their anger out in a certain way. Exactly. And <laughs> so, when he's digging, you see that. Like, he, like, throws the rock and is, like... yeah emulating the things that his dad is doing. Yeah, totally. And I think if you saw that kind of, like, behavior on a woman, it wouldn't be as excusable because, like, oh, if she's having, like, physical outbursts, institutionalize the witch, but it's like, oh, he's just, like, you know, he's just struggling to deal with his emotions. I think he was abusive before he got the site. Uh, in the beginning, he tells Lisa that if she doesn't go upstairs and help Jake put his pajamas on, he's going to throw her out the fucking window. And then, like, he, like, is constantly antagonizing her, and Maggie doesn't like it. And, like, at the party, yeah, he's like, it's sort come of like on, couch- fucking hypnotize me, bitch. Like, it's It's kind of couched unhealthy. just like a funny brother and sister-in-law dynamic, but it's, like, really weird yeah it's the way he's yelling at her if my brother-in-law yelled at me that way i would be like who do you think you're talking to mister like this is not a cute or fun thing and it's not yeah like i think i would yeah like i wouldn't tell my brother-in-law that he's been kicking around the same six blocks his whole life and he's a piece of shit or like you know it's just like there's it's not yeah. a healthy family dynamic. Oh, and, like, what she says about his sperm, his, like, shitty, sad sperm being able to somehow swim. I was like, Can your beer-addled sperm still impregnate my sister or whatever? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's another thing. Like, that, the way I think we mentioned they're just always drinking something. It's sort of, like, working class 
affiliation with alcoholism. Like, right. if you're working class, you must be depressed, and if you're depressed, you must be an alcoholic. And all of these things are feeders into one another, and it's your fault that you're like this, not a systemic failing. Uh, it's like a child yells very loud outside. All I can hear is the music going on in the park outside, which I hope mm-hmm. the mic's not picking up. I can't hear anything. Not that that means it, like, it's not picking up. But. It's like the first actually nice day in Boston. It was like 70 degrees today. Wow. And Adam missed it because he's at an ostrich festival in Chandler, Arizona. Oh, yeah. It's warm <laughs> today. It's like in the 80s today. I hope you wore a sunscreen. Are, did you wear your sunscreen, Adam? Tell us in the comments. Tell us <laughs> in the comments. Tell us you're probably sitting at the kitchen table editing this right now. Um... I think Lisa is a really weird character, too. Yeah, because she's, like, the, uh, like, faux-educated sister, like, unmarried, no children, uh, kind yeah, of the butt of the joke. why do unmarried, childless people, always, women, always have to be, like, categorized this way? As a Why witch. can't she just be, like, cool? I mean, she's funny. Like, she has funny one-liners, and you can see that, like... She's supposed to be, like, co- conveyed as smart, and she is smart, but she also is just, like, made ridiculous by mm-hmm. the things that she believes in and her behavior. And, like, oh, I smoked a fatty before you came in, so this is blowing my mind. Like, shut up, Yeah, it's, writer. <laughs> it's weird. And then, yeah, she like, the friends she has over, they're, um, like... I don't know, yeah, they were smoking, and then she, like, gets all mad and storms out. It's just a weird way to categorize, like, a Spanish-speaking person as well, as, like, angry, and, like, she storms out. I don't know, it's so weird. Like, why? Why was that the choice that you made? Yeah, like, I hesitate to say, like, fiery Latina, like, but that We don't know who she is, or, like, she didn't sound like she was speaking, like, her, the way she was speaking Spanish didn't sound like she was... Latinx, like there was a lot of, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, this doesn't mean anything, but she presents as white, but a lot of Latina people present as white, so that doesn't matter. But, like, yeah, like, well, also, she, like, I think that she paid for a service and she's, like, sitting with Lisa. Right. Like, and then this, like, crazy white guy comes in and is like, I need your attention right now. And she's like, I paid to be here. So she gets angry, but. We they don't give us like captions or anything. It's just like her being frustrated in Spanish, which is definitely intended to other her. Yeah. Um, and, but then yeah, like Lisa lives in this like hippie bohemian apartment, and yeah, like is she gonna pull out a deck of tarot cards? Like that was the next step in her journey. I know. Hypnosis. It's kind of like icky. It gave me the ick a little bit. But she's also, like, her and Maggie have, like, a good sister dynamic, like, where they're not, like, overly competitive. And while Lisa does constantly give Tom shit, I think it's mostly um, Tom initiating that relationship. Uh, But, like, she she takes care of her son. She's the one that's, like, affectionate and is, like, you know, like, I'm kidding and I totally love Tom. Right. But Tom doesn't have, like, the same emotional depth at all. Yeah. Not (laughs) at all. And, yeah, she's, like... She's the first one to know that uh, that Maggie's pregnant and, like, she's willing to take Jake when Maggie has to go home. And, like, she seems really supportive and caring. And I like to see a sister dynamic like that. Yeah, and me too. 
we see that in Debbie and um, Samantha is like, I would be screaming in, in a train station if Annie went missing too. I think the critical error that Debbie made was taking the child Stealing to a different location. <laughs> <laughs> I think a simple phone call would have sufficed. I'm assuming you know your mom's work number. Uh, I feel like, yeah, just like picking up a child and running into the night is not the move. Um, also, the way she yeah. was like handling Jake was like, you should not be babysitting yeah, like, children. You shouldn't be babysitting if you're gonna like kind of hurt, if physically hurt a child. But I also didn't really like the way that like Debbie and um, Maggie were played off each other. Like right. uh, this sort of like enemy dynamic. While Tom's just like, I don't know. I know it all. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell either of you. Like. I know, like, neither one of them realistically was being irrational, but they were not able to communicate with each other, and the bridge between those experiences would have been Tom, but he just, like, refused to facilitate a normal human conversation, mm-hmm. and instead is just like, I don't know, and then, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I actually did know, sorry, <laughs> you know? And it could have been, and then so Debbie and her mom, who are who have been seeking vengeance, for Samantha, who they don't believe ran away, but of course the cops are like, oh, this maybe neurodivergent teen ran away for no reason from her family, like, in the middle also, of winter. what is the... She's neurodivergent, why? Because she wears glasses? Like, I don't know. What so maybe is the reason? Like, I don't... We don't get... She also doesn't get a backstory. Like, she is... No, fridge. no identity. Talk about a fridge. This is a Tom's very poorly story. made brick fridge. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, I feel like they well they make like reference like she's weird and it's like oh Kurt and Adam would never like her because she's weird and I'm like well she's definitely you guys are dick heads and um like she they dangle their like friendship with her like this carrot to help like get her to do I don't know. The whole thing is bizarre. And then yeah, like she wears glasses and like that's it. Like, she doesn't talk. She We don't learn anything about her. We don't see scenes no. of her really when she was alive in which she's not in, like, you know, a situation where she's being abused and assaulted. Which is also, like, if that's the story, like, the whole story is Tom's. Like, it's from Tom's perspective. So we're telling the story of a young teenage girl being sexually assaulted by two teenage boys who then murder her. Uh, and hide her body, helped by their white male fathers. <laughs> but it's not told from her perspective, bless you. But it's told no, so from even if another white man's perspective. We're getting him, it through, like, the early, late 90s, early 2000s blue filter of Tom. Right. Yeah. So she's, like, we're, everything that we receive as the viewer comes through, like, Tom's perspective. Right. Which is fucked up. I didn't even think of it that way. It is fucked up. And, yeah, we don't learn anything about her. We don't see her in any other scenes except for as a ghost taunting the family or, like, being murdered, assaulted and murdered. And her sister yeah. and her mother are also only seen in scenes where they are experiencing trauma. Um, of like, and, like, why is she a scary ghost? She shouldn't be scary. She didn't she do anything help. wrong? She didn't do anything wrong, no. And, and, like, when Jake says, I don't want to talk right now, he's not, like being antagonistic towards her but like she's still portrayed as like 
like menacing but she's not menacing she just needs help she needs you to dig buddy she wants you to dig and then when she walks away at the end um yeah she's like perfectly happy and that scene really made me giggle because it was like her like she puts on the her get fixing her glasses (laughs) putting her jacket on and she's like feeling good gotta go and she walks through a car predictably she's dead though like she died i don't know through a car uh yeah i guess we should talk about the rape culture overtones frank i don't want to but yeah like obviously frank when he's rationalizing why he covered up the murder he says well there are like young men like the damage was already done can't unbring that bell can't unkill her and these boys have their whole lives ahead of them, which is, like, the adage as old as time. Like, right. how could we steal away the lives and the, like, potential of these young white boys that just, like, couldn't control themselves because women are temptresses or whatever. And Adam is, like, this big football star who's going to get all these scholarships. So yeah, there is a to... lot of talk about how many yards he ran. Like, yards. Yards. And he's going to go... <laughs> Ten more yards. Ten more yards. Even, I'm like, uh, <laughs> yep, he might. I don't know. All the yards. And the way that uh, that Frank treats women and sees women and treats his wife. Um, yeah, he sees, like, the death of Samantha and, like, as a burden on his child. And then he his wife is an annoyance who he doesn't seem attracted to or like Poor at all. Sheila. Poor Sheila. He's, like, constantly, like ogling, oogling, and googling other women in front of her and, like, treating women like objects and talking about the kind of tail, quote, tail that his son was pulling at 14. Like, it's gross So creepy. Yeah. Why are people so weird with their kids? Like, as I previously mentioned, I've been watching Say Yes to the Dress, (laughs) and I just feel like a lot of the dads that come to these dress appointments, like, they have, like, eyeballs towards their daughters that are not appropriate like she they start tearing up like do I really have to give her away like oh (laughs) I don't like it but at least like this movie what I do like is that Frank is a bad guy the teenage boys are bad guys and while like maybe they're setting this like white neighborhood against this like black neighborhood and the gentrification that's happening in chicago is like the real horror the real mm-hmm. horror of the movie happened in the white neighborhood by two like high school football star white male boys so at least there's that yeah what movie did we talk about recently that has like a similar plot line running through it I'll go to the spreadsheet. Who knows? I don't remember what we're talking about now, let alone two weeks ago. Oh, um, Last House on the Left. Oh, yeah. Sort of had the same, like, dynamic um, where, like, that taxonomy of, like, I stole that word from Say Pot and Die. Um, Of, like, yeah, like, you can go to the city and it's dangerous there, but the real horror happens in your backyard, you know? But they're the poor people or the bad people here. It's, I don't know what they're, I guess they're all in the same economic they're situation. They're all pretty but. much working class, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you have anything else to say? Uh, landlords are bad. Harry's a bad man. Scum of the earth, yeah. Fucking leeches. 
And he's the one, like, Frank ends up, like, you know, coming to his senses and saving the day. Uh, hopefully he still had to, you know, face justice for his the crimes he committed. But yes, uh, not that there is justice. But uh, Harry Sheila. was just like, oh I'm going to shoot everyone who is an inconvenience to me. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Harry had, like, nothing behind his eyes. He was scary. Who played him? Some man. <laughs> Uh, who was also, he did CSI forever. Who was a man. Connor O'Farrell. Yeah. You're welcome for that accent work, by the way. It was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, that's all I gotta say. Yeah, I'm tired. Aren't we all? I don't know. It was a full moon yesterday. Was it really? Yeah. Maybe that's why I was acting so weird, or maybe it's just because I'm a weird person. Yeah, maybe know how to act. Aren't we all just weird people? I don't know. <sighs> True enough. So I think we had penciled in Last Boys for next week. Do you still want to do that? Yeah. We haven't done vi- vampires. Vampires. Vampires! In a while. That will be April Fool's Day. Oh wow. Also known as wow. Caesar's birthday. Oh, maybe he didn't want me to. Oh, I thought that his birthday was the day after. No, day of. Ugh. Wow. He is a fool. True, he is. I won't say that, but he and Adam together could have full potential. <laughs> um, what, what are we gonna fuck this week? I don't know. My life, <laughs> just kidding. I'm fine. Um, fuck classism, mm-hmm. fuck redlining, fuck tokenizing BIPOC in horror films and all films and all situations. Generally, fuck, um, like throwing in someone being maybe neurodivergent, but never like really going into it. Like that seems dangerous. And yeah, it's like kind of ableist, but not even like defined enough to be ableist. But it's definitely dodgy. So fuck it. And fuck Kevin Bacon in a nice way. No, because he's very handsome. (laughs) He looks like a skeleton that just has a thin sheen of skin over it. Very hot. Very skeletal. <laughs> That's true. And it's he's like all skeleton and nostrils. That's all I see. Oh yeah, he's just all bone structure for sure. Um, um so hot. Watch Tremors if you haven't seen it. Great movie. Someday we'll do it. I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just keep watching it once or twice every time. couple of years in my spare time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's all I want to fuck. I don't know. There's all no right, go go with there. God, my friends. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Where to find us? Yeah, oh, I was going to say. I don't know. At Spooky Succubus <laughs> Cast on Instagram.com. Uh, that has our link tree with all the stuffs. Um, if you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, rate, review, subscribe. That would be awesome. And we'll talk to you on the flippity flop. And uh, mm. stay ugly. And get fucked. Bye!